Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about moving past father issues. Then we'll go into the comment section where I respond to comments on YouTube, and we'll be finishing with today's gospel coming from Luke chapter 12. If you're new to the podcast or you haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you would be so kind, leave a five-star review. And if you want to give it into heaven, leave a comment. It is guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. All right, welcome guys to the Institute of Men podcast, guys and ladies. Thank you for listening. I do hope you're doing well at whatever time you are listening or wherever you're listening, whether you're at the gym or in the car or you know just doing chores around the house, whatever you're doing. I appreciate you tuning in to listen. Um, today's going to be a little bit different. Normally, I record these a week in advance so I can edit because I've started. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, I used to not edit. Just it was just as you go. And I've started editing, but, uh, normally I record these a week in advance. And if I don't like it, I'll re-record. But last week was actually my last job or last day at my job It was last week. And then we went on a family vacation. So I spent most of the week finalizing some things at the work or at work. And I then cleaned out my office and we went on a family vacation. It was amazing. And then I got home and I got a little sick because I have a toddler and toddlers are always sick, which means I'm always kind of sick. I've got something going on with my throat today, my nose, and I'm just, so I'm like, I'm behind. So today we're actually going essentially no notes for this podcast. Normally I spend a long time, several hours writing and rewriting. Today we're going to just hopefully pull something out of what I know. But um, I had a lot of time to think while I was up at, we were in New Hampshire for a vacation, a family getaway, and we went to this place called Flume Gorge. That's F-U, excuse me, F-L-U-M-E, Gorge. Google it, look it up. It is beautiful. I felt like I was in the movie, the King Kong movies where they're like in the valleys. That's kind of what it felt like. It was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I couldn't believe how gorgeous it was up there. Kind of remind, it reminded me of home in a lot of ways. It reminded me of Colorado and it was a very, very refreshing time. And, uh, I feel very good from that other than my throat, because again, I have a toddler, which means I'm always just a little bit sick. I was at a men's small group though, the other night, I'm part of this men's small group. They get together once a month and they have these awesome discussions. Each man gets about 25 minutes to share an update of what's going on in their life. And at the beginning of the small group, they or beginning of their portion of the discussion time. They say, this is what I need. I, they'll say I either need advice or they'll say I need just a vent. They'll say something like that. And a theme kind of came up that I was familiar with. It was around how we are a product of our father and our mother, and how do you move past specifically father wounds? How do you move past be not wanting to be like your father? So basically a lot of the guys that, and I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of guys in, in my life, is I've realized I don't want to be like my father. Now what do I do? Or 
I've made a vow. I don't want to be like my dad. And I do, I sympathize with people because for better, for worse, you and I, we are products of our parents. No doubt. I can sympathize to a degree because I have wonderful parents. I have amazing parents. I I don't really have parental wounds that have gone unhealed. I mean, but I, I can tell you one thing for sure. Um, that healing is necessary for all parties. And before we even get to the topic, I just felt like I needed to say this. You, there's, we all talk about father wounds. We talk about mother wounds. We talk about how our parents were victims. But there's almost like this mindset that kids are just victims of their parents. Um, and bro, you were unbelievably difficult to raise. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm going to put it that way because I, I know me, I know my brothers, and I know a lot of other guys and girls you were unbelievably difficult to raise. And I'd be willing to bet that your parents have some wounds from you that they also needed to heal from and forgive and move past. And it wasn't just you as a victim of your parents. It's like this expectation that parents are supposed to be perfect and kids are just supposed to inherit something. But when parents aren't perfect, it messes everything up. And it's like, bro, you probably put your parents through the ringer. You talked back, you were disrespectful, you threw temper tantrums, you didn't nap when you were supposed to nap as a toddler. You got your parents sick for years. Like my kids get me sick. <laughs> you were unbelievably difficult to raise and you were part of your parents' sanctification. A lot of, that's a fancy way of saying of becoming holy, of becoming like Jesus. Parents have a, uh, parents learn as they raise kids. There's a lot of joy in raising kids. There's a lot of trials and tests raising kids. I only have a two year old and I'm just imagining what it's going to be like when she's 13 based on the temper tantrums she throws now. And then it just makes you call your parents and be like, I'm sorry, just for everything. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but you were, you were, your parents, they were, you were entrusted to your parents so they could raise you and you were unbe- unbelievably difficult to love. You were at times unlovable. I know I was probably unlovable. My parents still loves me, but they're, you know, you're unlovable sometimes. And they had to learn to love you through that. And that was part of their holiness training. It was figuring out how am I going to discipline this child and raise him up in the way of the Lord? How am I going to make him a good man or a good woman? And they had to just take all of the pain. I said, I know that I've said things to my parents that I wish I wouldn't have said. And I'm sure you have too. And I'm sure your parents said stuff to you that they wish they wouldn't have said. But that's why forgiveness is so key. That is the key to having to having a healing relationship with your parents, whether you were the one who wounded them. Maybe you need to seek forgiveness or maybe you need to ask like or share like this is how you've wounded me or this is this is how I felt or anything like that. You need to go through all that stuff because, again, for better, or for worse, we are products of our parents and whatever baggage we don't figure out we bring into all of our other relationships. And that's essentially what we're talking about at the small group is guys are realizing like, oh, my dad did this and so I do this. Or my dad didn't do this and now I compensate for it. It's like, yes, that's what men do. But just think about it this way. Your parents were doing the exact same thing because of how their parents raised them. If you want to understand how how your mother was or your father was, you just need to look at their parents and you'll be like, oh, okay, I understand. And you can do that, go back generationally to do that. We all need more grace for our parents and for each other. And I also think that's why it's uh, so essential that we honor our mother and father, because not only did they clothe you, raise you, put food on the table, provide shelter for you, get you educated, all those things, but they also put up with all your junk and they put up with 
to- this toddler phase. They put up with the adolescent phase. They put up with the emo phase. They put up with the I hate you phase. They put up with the you're going to go party but come home and eat all the food phase. Like they just they put up with it. They prayed. They raised you. They begged God for mercy. They did. They did all that stuff. So we should be more thankful and gracious to our parents. I know this pastor who says all the time, he talks about father wounds all the time, but he never wants I've never heard him say anything about child wounds and how kids can have an effect on their parents. And I just think we need to be more aware of that. So, but like I said, we are products of our parents for better, or for worse. We inherit the good characteristics. We inherit the bad characteristics. If your father is very generous, you're probably going to be very generous. If your father is very cold, there's a good chance you're going to be very cold as well because you and I, we learn everything through imitation. Like I know you learn stuff from books. You learn stuff from teachers. The primary way you learn everything in life that's most important is through imitation. You learned how to speak by imitating your parents speak. You learned how to hammer by imitating your dad, how he hammered. You literally, you look at your parents and you imitate them. Our daughter is going through a phase right now where she goes to work. She picks up my backpack and she takes my keys and she says, bye, I'm going to work. And she kisses me. She kisses Chelsea, who is my wife, she kisses Benaya, and then she kisses Chelsea again because that's what I do. I don't, well, I don't kiss me, but I kiss my wife first, and I kiss my two kids, and then I kiss my wife one more time before I leave. And Noah, my daughter, is going through this phase where she's just imitating dad. That's what dad does. He goes to work, and he, and so she does my routine before I go to work. She is also imitating mom. Mom is currently breastfeeding our youngest and changing the diaper of our youngest, and my daughter has a doll named slothy it's actually a sloth that she breastfeeds she was like he, he needs to eat she'll pull up her shirt and put her sloth right <laughs> right where a breast would be if she's two she doesn't have one um, and then she'll change his diaper right after because that's what my wife does to our son she's learning through imitation and so you've picked up characteristics from your mother and your father because you imitated them for 18 or 19 years at a minimum they are in you that's what i mean you're a product of, for better or for worse, of your parents. So all the negative stuff you have picked up, all the positive stuff you have picked up to some degree. And there comes a time in your life where you stop, where there sh- I hope there comes a time where you stop blaming your parents for everything and you start to take responsibility for yourself and you realize, okay, I want to take this good aspect, but I don't want this aspect part of it. I don't want this negative thing to be a part of me. And so one of the questions that came up was with was from a guy at the, this group is he said, I've realized I don't want to be like my dad. I just don't want to be like that. But how do I move past that? Like, what do I do instead if I don't want to be like him? And I was like, that is a good question. And I, I didn't speak up in group. I decided to talk to him afterward. And I, I can get, that's where this podcast episode is coming from. I'm going to give him the same advice I gave. Or I'm going to give you the same advice I gave him. What you need is you need another man who you admire to imitate. You need to, because you learn everything through imitation. And if you realize you don't want to be like your father for whatever reason, you can't just decide I'm not going to be like him because what you will do, you'll, you'll do the, make the worst decision you've ever made is you, well, maybe not quite the worst, but it'll be one of them. You'll you'll make a vow that says, I will not be like you and you will compensate in some way. 
you know, like, and it will not go well for you. What you need to do is instead figure out who else can I imitate that I admire? Who's an older man who I can look at and be like, I admire this man. I want to be like him. My father, he didn't, he's said this on the podcast. He didn't have the strongest relationship with his father or his mother. And there was a lot of good in my grandfather. There was also some stuff that my dad just didn't want to be like. And around 18 or 19, he met a man named Jack Young. And uh, my dad has been friends with Jack Young to this day. So my dad is now, he's in his mid-60s. So he's known Jack for, what, 47 years or something like that. And Jack has become like a second father figure to my father. And he Jack was somebody my dad could imitate and learn how to raise a family and how to be a husband. And it was very necessary for my dad to learn from Jack how to be an adult man because he couldn't do it from his own father. But would have been, what would have been the mistake is if my father would have looked at his dad and be like, I'm not going to be like him, but didn't come up with another way to grow. He would have just reacted instead of being proactive to, I'm going to imitate somebody else. And I actually have a reminder on my phone that I get, I think it's every two weeks that says before there was my father, because my dad is the greatest ordinary man I've ever met. And I say ordinary on purpose because I think being ordinary is actually really, really good. Good Christian man. But I said before there was my dad, there was Jack Young. It's a reminder I get every two weeks to remind myself that my dad is a product of Jack Young because my dad found another man to imitate. And I'm one of the very fortunate people. I get to imitate my father in a lot of ways. But I also have other guys that I want to imitate to because of some characteristics that I find very noble, very good. Um, and one of them is comes from Jesus. I hope you learn to imitate Jesus. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But if you realize, if you get to a spot in your life where you realize, I don't want to be like my dad, for whatever reason, the first thing you need to do is find another man that you admire, who's a godly man, that you can imitate so that you can at least grow up into a good and noble man instead of a bitter, reactive, angry man. Because if you decide, I don't want to be like my dad, and you don't come up with a, you don't find someone else to imitate, you will just become angry and bitter and reactive, and it will pour into your marriage. And you'll end up being just like your dad anyway to some degree. Even if you had a good father, there might have been some holes, and you're like, well, I just need somebody else. Well, you should grab somebody else. But at the end of the day, I said I wanted to come back to Jesus. I tell young men all the time, you need three people to imitate. You need a, a man that is in your life that you admire who is older than you. You need somebody from history who is a noble man, who is a godly man that you can admire. So you can pick any of the great Christians throughout history. You you know, like I really admire Theodore Roosevelt, not in everything, but I really admire his boldness and his pursuit of righteousness for the nation. Like I really admire that about him. And so I like, in a lot of ways, I like to imitate Theodore Roosevelt. I think in the way I imitate is I think through like if Theodore Roosevelt was in this situation, what, how do I think he would react? Okay. Is that in line with the way Jesus would react or the apostles or anything like that? And I measure it like, okay, here we go. But then you need somebody in your life that you can imitate who knows you, who you can be close to in proximity, somebody you can, who's at a distance throughout history, who's an admirable man. And you also need Jesus. Those are the three people you need to imitate. Because at the end of the day, 
we are ultimately called to become like Jesus. It's in Ephesians 4. We're supposed to grow into the measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So we need somebody in our life that we can imitate who's imitating Christ so that we can learn to imitate Christ. I talked about that on the Christian Leadership Podcast. But you need those three. And the first one I would do is find an older man in your life that you admire, that you can imitate, that you can learn from, that you can ask questions. And he will also help you heal. Because one of the things you're going to have to do if you've got some father wounds is you're eventually you're going to have to heal and healing is going to have to involve forgiveness. And forgiveness can be really, really difficult. But it's also the thing we must do. If you want to be healed, you need to forgive. If you want to be right with God, you have to forgive. You need there are There's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew of the unforgiving servant. And then even in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. And Jesus pauses that section of his sermon and says, for your father will forgive you the same measure that you forgive others. That's just right there in the gospel. So if you want to be right with God, you need to be able to forgive. And every day that you're alive is a chance to grow in forgiveness. Because forgiveness is really, really hard, especially if your parents have hurt you or if you're the one who needs to have the courage to repent, confess, apologize, go through all of those things. You're going to have, and that man who's in your life who you want to imitate is going to be able to help you do those things. He's going to be able to help you heal those things. Because if he's a godly man, if he's a noble man, he will not allow you to turn against your parents because that's wrong. He will not let you dishonor your parents because that's wrong. That's, I mean, that's in God's top 10. He won't let you do that. He'll, he will acknowledge there was pain. He'll acknowledge that there was hurt. He'll acknowledge that there's wrongdoing, but he will refuse to let you turn on your parents because that's what godly men do. And then he will help you reconcile and heal that relationship to whatever degree it can. So as you move into adulthood, you still have to honor your father and mother. You can do everything you can to make that happen where you in your heart can honor your father and mother because they raised you, they prayed for you, they nurtured you. You have life because of them, but you don't necessarily, you can't necessarily imitate all that they have. So you need somebody else to imitate who you can move past. You can be like, I'm going to be that kind of man. Then they're going to help you heal. And then you get to come back full circle, maybe hopefully sooner rather than later or later in your life and actually have a relationship with your parents where you can forgive and be forgiven where you can learn and glean and share and now participate in the beautiful relationship that it's supposed to be. Now, I know that doesn't happen all the time. I know that doesn't happen. But it's something noble to strive for because if you want to be a good man, it's you want to strive after noble things. And the, the most noble thing that you can strive after, I think, is healing relationships that are broken. Like even Jesus said, In the Sermon on the Mount, if you realize, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're worshiping and you realize that your brother, someone in Christ, has something against you, leave your gift. He says, stop worshiping. Go and be reconciled with your brother. Come to terms with them and then come back. That's why I'm saying it's one of the most noble things you can do is reconcile with the people you've hurt and the people who have hurt you, especially your parents, because, again, that's in God's top 10. And remember, like, yeah, your parents, they may have hurt you. Your father may have hurt you. You also probably hurt them. That Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind that you are responsible for your own behavior at, at some point. And there is some time so where you're going to have to confess that 
and reconcile and do what you can to heal that relationship and let it start with you. All right, we are moving into our comment section on YouTube. And the way I'm going to do this one today is, well, let me say this. So I put up a account or a video on YouTube on how to read the Bible. And then I cut it into little things and uh, little reels. And I put the, well, they're called, are they called reels on YouTube or shorts? They're called shorts on YouTube. So I make a video, tips on how to read the Bible. I cut it into shorts and then I upload the shorts, you know, because it helps drive traffic. It's one of those cool things about YouTube. Well, background, I have a pretty small YouTube channel because I've only been doing it for a couple months. It's not something I do very often. I have 59 subscribers on YouTube, so not very many. Um, and so, but I'm starting. And so if, if I do one of these reels and I get you know, a hundred views or 500 views. I'm stoked. And I had a couple that got 2,500 views because somehow the algorithm works. And I'm like, yes, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, this one that I put about the Bible got 7,500 views, you know, so that's, that's like, I know people get 50,000 and millions, but for my channel, my tiny little channel, that's a significant amount of views. And I'm not sure what happened with the algorithm, but it sent it to a bunch of people who, didn't really like what I was putting out about the Bible. And so I saw some of the comments and I was like, I'm just going to wait to look at these till it's time to respond to them on YouTube. And then I will respond like in real time. So I'm actually looking at, at comments for the very first time on a video that I had uploaded about the Bible. The video in the video, I quote a guy named Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey is the founder of the Bible Project. He is a PhD in Hebrew. He's a Bible nerd, like uber Bible nerd. And he has a video that he has put out from the Bible Project called Jewish Meditation Literature. In it, one of the things he talks about in this video is how the Bible is written in such a way that you're supposed to know how it ends. So as you go back and read it, you can meditate on how certain decisions play out so that you can gain wisdom. So I quote that. I say in this clip, the Bible is written in such a way that you it assumes you know how it ends. I'm quoting a biblical scholar. And people just had a very hard time with that. Uh, that comment and a couple other uh, comments. So let me actually pull this up and um, see what it says. Um, let's just go through some of these these comments. All right, so this guy, Garden Calico, um, he said, read it cover to cover and you become an atheist almost every time. Well, that's interesting. People break it up to placate themselves and try not to realize they're worshiping a monster. Oh, okay. So this guy thinks that the God of the Bible is a monster. Okay. Um, this guy's sticking up for me. Some of y'all need to learn respect. <laughs> this guy clearly not liking what's happening. Whoa, algorithm, back it up. <clears throat> All right, here's a long comment from Onyx Hydrax. The way the Bible is written assumes you know how it ends and he he did it in like the small letters capital letters you know how people type sarcastically so you know the bible is comprised of multiple books not even the new and old testament is made up of 37 books and the new testament is made up of 27 books people spend their whole lives studying this text because of the religion around it and because surprisingly it has some good things to say oh i don't really understand this comment uh it's interesting 
I, I don't. I don't actually really understand. One guy. So we'll just move on. One guy just said yes. Uh, sounds like somebody found some plot holes in the infallible, and he just can't justify it. Nope. Uh, didn't find any plot holes in the Bible, but thank you. Um, why didn't all the Why didn't the all-knowing creature know this when it wrote it? And it put that in big, bold letters at the front. <laughs> Why didn't God, the all-knowing creature, just put that at the beginning? Ah, uh, and his this is from Release My Kraken. That's a I, okay. You know what? That's a fair question. Why didn't God just come out and say it? Well, because you wouldn't believe it anyway. According Jesus said in the Gospels, like, you know, he feeds the five thousand, and they're like, "Give us more," and he's like. They keep demanding a sign or there's times in Luke where he's healing people and they're like, give us a sign. He's like, I'm literally healing somebody right in front of you. Give us a sign. Signs. People don't believe signs. They, they, it could be the most obvious thing in the world and people don't believe it. So it could be written as clear as possible and people still wouldn't. There's so much in the Bible that is clear as day and people will be like, nah, I don't see it. And it's, and there's a veil that remains that you just can't see. So that's why it's not in big, bold letters. You wouldn't believe it anyway, which I know that probably sounds circular to people who are atheists and which is, I think probably a fair thing. So, uh, you know, I'd love to have a conversation with that. Uh, Matt mathematics. I tried to read it once and it was horribly slow and boring. How I'm, how am I meant to read it to the end? I want to read it one day. Oh, okay. Hey, you know what it is? I understand why you'd say it's slow and boring. It's really old. Um, and that's actually a great comment. I think I'm going to, that's one I'm going to respond to, uh, this guy, that's like saying the worst way to read a book is front to back. That's not like (laughs) the worst way, um, uh, to read it. This guy, not true. I read my end chapter by chapter and I understood it. Okay. All right, dude. Taking verses out of context and cherry pick them to fit modern circumstances is not any better. On top of that, we have the issue of missing books, which conflate the textual contextual errors and removes the meat and potatoes of what really occurred. For a full education, one must exit the biblical prison and read the works that were left out. The reason they were left out is that they explain the supernatural entities were mostly extraterrestrials who were obsessed with screwing humans to produce chimera. As for the God of the Bible, Jesus himself said Satan is God of this world, yet people somehow believe otherwise. And they believe Jesus was was an immaculate conception, but the God of Adam had no need to... I'm not going to read that. Instead of a fallen, had a long track record of doing such things. And God of Adam himself commanded that these were forbidden deadly sins. In the light, in that light, why would the God of Adam not create his son by molding clay and breathing life into it as he had of all of creation? Why would he break his own rules? It's very unlikely. Okay, I'm this, this, um, this comment keeps going and going and going. And then he says, this scenario explains a lot about why followers of Jesus do terrible things and why it seems prayers go unanswered. Instead of praying directly to the God of Adam, prayers are directed to Jesus, the gatekeeper of Satan. (laughs) Okay, well, sorry, you uh, lost me when you said that there were hidden books 
that point to extraterrestrials. Now, if you were going to go with the deuterocanonical books and that are uh, in the Catholic Bible that were removed at the um, Reformation, I was like, okay. Or there's the conspiracy theory that the Vatican holds secret books of the Bible. I've, I've heard about that. I have never heard that there are removed books that point to aliens that were obsessed with screwing humans. <laughs> I've, I've literally never heard that before. So that is what... And you just called Jesus the gatekeeper of Satan. Wow. Okay. You know, Lord be with this man. Just jump straight to the last page and close it forever. Okay, that guy's for sure an atheist. Yeah, read it in a chunk. Don't ask questions. Wouldn't want you pointing out the BS you see in it. Well, that's not very... Sorry to hear about that. The worst thing that you can do is read the Bible. Oh, well... I'm sorry that you think that. <laughs> and this guy didn't help. Shame on you. Well, that's not a very nice answer either. Um, well, hey, I think that I'll read that and I'll, then I'll start my own religion based on how I interpret it. Maybe I'll change a few things to better suit my agenda, but no one will care in a hundred years. <laughs> um, okay. I, are you talking about how many people that are like start their own churches based on their own interpretation? Because that's a thing that you, we should probably stop doing. Um, one of the worst things that you can do is assume that's it. True. The less thought, the better become a sponge. Uh, I don't really understand what they're they're trying to say there. Um, this guy sounds like a terribly written book and I'm going to say, it sounds like you've never read a book. All of the best books are better when you read them a second or a third time. Cause you can see how the characters decisions plays out throughout the book. Um, one of the worst things you can do is read it. See, this one, I mean the algorithm, I don't know who the algorithm sent this, this book to. It must've been people who was like, Hey, you should read the Bible who don't normally read the Bible. Um, so this person said, so how the, F, am I supposed to read it? Serious question. Oh, and then it got seven replies. Uh, you aren't supposed to read it. Only accept that your pastor has and believe whatever BS interpretation he spews is correct. That's not a helpful answer. Um, this girl, I think it's a girl, responded, hey, that's great. Now I just need to go get a pastor. <laughs> yes, good good response. Uh, ignore the other guy. The Bible is meant to be read in parts, but it's not read when you feel like it come back later kind of thing. It's best to set a time and a schedule. I, yes, absolutely. Thank you for the helpful comment. I knew he was trolling, but I was reading my Bible consistently for a few weeks every morning from six to seven. Good for you, but I wasn't reading it and enjoying it, but I felt like something was missing. God wasn't talking to me the way other people, like he said, oh, I'm going to respond to this comment for sure in the comments. So I gave up. Okay. That's a very common thing. Wow. Um. Wow. Yeah, that's a common thing when you read the Bible where it doesn't click. And um, that can be very, very frustrating. And I'm sorry that has happened to this person. I'm going to respond to that one. Um, Yeah, sure. Even though the Bible is written in chunks over a span of many years, but as a devoted Christian, just ignore the facts and buy into the fantasy. Don't know what that is. Okay, so there's just all these comments. So this this video got 7,500 views on my small YouTube channel. And so, so many comments. I think it was like 45 total comments. And I'm like, hi, I'm going to be YouTube famous. All because I sent it to weird people um, or people that I'm like not even sure. And I'm uh, who, how they got it. 
and we get a comment about aliens that the Bi- that people have hidden the real books of the Bible because of aliens, and that is a good place to finish. All right, today's gospel comes from Luke chapter 12, the parable of the rich fool. Uh, this is Luke 12, 13 through uh 21 so i'm gonna i'm just gonna read this and then respond to that i have done a couple youtube videos or i've done a youtube video on this um but i'm gonna just spell this out real quick one of the multitude said to him teacher bid my brother divide the inheritance with me or that's a way of saying tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me but jesus responded to him man who made me a judge or a divider over you And then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of all covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And then he said this, I will, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Okay, anytime I read this parable, the first thing I want to say about this parable is this is not a condemnation on people who have a lot of money. That's not at all what this parable is about. This is a parable about where you put your hope, where you put your faith, where you put your comfort, where you put your rest, where you put all of your security. So this guy comes to Jesus and he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So there's some dispute happening where the inheritance is not being divided either equally or this man is not appreciative of what he how the inheritance was divided. It probably wasn't fair in his eyes. And he's telling Jesus, make it fair. And Jesus's first response is, that's not what I'm here to do. I am not the judge and arbiter over your inheritance. I That is not for me to decide. That's not what I do. And a lot of people probably pray to Jesus or about making sure life is fair, that all the incomes are fair that and stuff like that. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm about. But then he gives this guy a warning. He says, be on your guard for covetousness. Covetousness is wishing things were different for you, wishing you had what someone else had. And it's looking at what other people have and thinking, if I had that, I'd be secure. If I had what they had, I would be happy. If I had what they had, I would be at rest. I would be at peace. And and Jesus says that is a myth and that is a lie. It is the deceitfulness of riches is trying to convince you that if you had what other people have, or if you had more of what you have, your soul would be better. Your soul would be better, but your soul is not better. Your soul is not, your soul is restless until it finds rest in God. Augustine said that. So Jesus, hey, and then he tells him this parable about a guy and he says, my land has produced plentifully. Okay. And here, and here's where, here, this is where it's kind of sly, where Jesus gets people. He says, the land produced plentifully and the guy didn't believe that the land would produce plentifully again. So what he believed is he must store up what that one time because there's no way it could happen again. There's no way if God provided for me this once, he would provide again. There's no 
way. So what I must do is I must get rid of what I have. I must build bigger mountains and I must take care of everything. I must hold it in tightly and closely. And then I will have rest because now hey, it's produced plentifully. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And this is actually a theme in, in Luke. Early in Luke, in Luke chapter, I believe it's chapter 10, he sends out the apostles and he says, take no money bag, take nothing with you. And then at the end of Luke, he, he asks them again. He says, when I sent you out the first time, did you lack anything? And they say, no, we lacked nothing. And he said, that's right. Now this time, take a money bag. And what he was trying to illustrate is that God is going to take care of you whether you take a money bag or not, whether the land produces plentifully or not, God is going to take care of you. You, If you have a season where it produces plentifully and you have an abundance, you don't need to hold on to that as tightly thinking it's not going to come. Now, be prudent, save, invest. It's about where, hey, if God provided once, he'll provide again. You can trust that God is going to take care of you. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. And if he takes care of the sparrows, he's going to take care of you. Don't hear me saying, don't invest, don't save, don't be prudent. That is not what I'm saying because that's also scriptural. That's also in the teachings. What I'm saying is, what Jesus is saying is, watch where you put your trust and your hope. You might just find yourselves coveting. And as Paul writes in Colossians, covetousness is idolatry. It's a failure to worship God, but to worship mammon. That's all I have for you today. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. If you want to dive deeper into the Institute of Men, become a subscriber on instituteofmen.org. There you can sign up for my newsletter. You can choose a free or paid subscription and you'll receive exclusive content. Financial support of any kind is always appreciated. If you didn't like this content, just pretend you didn't listen. That helps us out too. And until next time, I'm Keaton Tucker, and this is the Institute of Men podcast.